1: When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller-Karis.
2: Welcome to Resiliency Within. I'm Elaine Miller-Karis, and I want to remind our listeners that we're also on a Facebook Live at Resiliency Within I am so excited. I have Dr. Brian Robinson with me again. It has actually been one year since my show first launched. And Brian and I were talking before the show started. We can't believe it's been like the blink of an eye. I'm happy to report to you all that thousands of people around the world have listened to Resiliency Within. We are now in the top 20 shows on the health and wellness channel of Voice America. I'm so proud about that. And thank you, um, Brian, for helping me launch this show. Thank you.
3: My pleasure. My pleasure. I can't believe it's been a year. It's been (laughs) an incredible year. But it has gone fast at the same time.
2: It has gone fast. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in and listening to our messages of well-being and resiliency and all the amazing people that we've had from around the world that have participated as guests on the show. But I also want to mention that today is Martin Luther King Day. And one of my favorite statements of Dr. King is, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. And he also goes on to say, hatred paralyzes life love releases it. Hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates. We have seen a great deal of darkness during this last year. And our listeners may know that Dr. Robinson and I, I would say, Brian, aren't we perennial optimists? And we have seen many hopeful, inspiring moments, even though there's been a lot of sadness as well. I want to say a couple more things about Dr. Robinson. Robinson before I start asking him some questions, and that is he's a professor emeritus at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. He's had a psychotherapy practice um, for over forty years. He's an award-winning author of two uh, uh, and of and forty books, and also um, two novels. I don't know if you've been a, a psychotherapist for 40 years. I might have added that one, um, Brian. Yeah, um, no, maybe 25.
3: No. 25,
2: okay. <laughs> I give you a few extra years. Thank you. So he has appeared on too many uh, network uh, TV shows, even to mention all of them, but he's been on many. Um, his latest book is Hashtag Chill Turn Off Your Job and Turn On Your Life and daily writing, Resilience, 365, Meditations and Inspiration for Writers. He's a contributor on Leadership and Careers for Forbes.com, Thrive Global, and The Big Thrill. And his latest novel is She'll Be Killing Round the Mountain. And he will share some very big news with us about his novel, Limestone Gumption, A Brad Hope and Sister Friends Mystery, and the plans to adopt the novel into a television series. So, Brian, welcome, and as we start, what's on your mind?
3: Well, thank you, Elaine. It's great to be here. Well, there's a lot on my mind, but, you know, as you were talking um, about Martin Luther King, it is Martin Luther King Day, and I think it's important for all of us to just stop, even if it's just for one or two minutes, and think about what he brought to all of us. Um, It made me remember uh, I'm, I'm working on a memoir, and when I was five years old, my house burned down, and I remember clearly, uh, we had a housekeeper, her name was Pauline, whom we dearly loved, and my mother uh, were in the kitchen, we had an old oil stove, and I, I was playing in my sandbox, and I heard these howls of terror, and jumped up and ran inside, and our kitchen was on fire, uh, uh An old stove had exploded, an old timey oil oil stove had exploded, and they were trying to put the fire out. And then later, I remember uh, Pauline hiding in a ditch, and I'm a little five year old. I was looking down at her. I'd never seen an adult hiding like that. And I asked her why she was doing that, and she said, I'm afraid they're going to blame me for the fire, which they did. And, you know, I have this theory about, um, you and I talked a little bit before the show, but it, it's kind of percolated a little bit. There's something in, in, that scientists now are talking about called perspective expanders. And sometimes when we have an experience, it changes our experience uh, and our perception. And I there was something about that situation that touched my heart forever and it's been with me for the rest of my life um and so when i hear dr martin luther king or john lewis talk about what what is it a a good good uh, good trouble a a good trouble a good trouble
2: yeah good trouble i love that we
3: need more of that in this country yes harvey milk brought it uh for gay lesbian and LGBTQ community and we need it for the Asian community. We need it for everybody until everybody has is free. Um, and but we still live in an oppressive uh, culture, uh, not only a society, but, cult, but corporations uh, and how they're treating employees. We're seeing a huge change with something called the great resignation. And employees are saying, you're not gonna treat me this way anymore. I have power, I have choices. And 4.5 million people quit their jobs this past year in September. And that that's continuing. This is good. And Martin Luther King was a perspective expander. He yeah, taught he a lot. Was. Yes, because, you know, prejudice is based on our experience and what we're taught. And that's where hate and prejudice come from. When we have another experience or we have a leader like him who expands our view like the wide angle lens of a camera, it changes how we feel inside. So it's a day to celebrate all the perspective expanders and everybody listening can be a perspective expander by shifting your point of view if you're prejudiced, or if you stereotype or you hate, and that can include women, it can include gender, race, uh, all kinds of things. So I'm thinking about all of us being perspective expanders today.
2: Well, it's so interesting that you're bringing that, that topic in. I, I just did a show um, talking about Desmond Tutu and His oh. Holiness the Dalai Lama. And oh. they have eight pillars of joy that they talk about in the Book of Joy. And the very first one is perspective. Okay. And it, you very much described it. Because when we widen our lens and we widen our perspective, yep. that also helps a, us walk in yep. someone else's moccasins, exactly. what that might be like. And yep. I think that Martin Luther King helped us do that. You know, <laughs> when, as we, I was preparing for the show today, I was thinking about kind of the one degree of separation that we sometimes have between ourselves and others. And I have one degree of separation between myself and, and Martha, Martin Luther King. When I moved to Claremont almost 30 years ago, I didn't know a soul in town, and I remember walking by this very grand, grand house, white brick house on Harvard Boulevard. Um, all the streets in Claremont are named after. Famous universities. Anyway, there was a a party going on, and I'm walking past the house with my my husband, and I'm like going, I don't know the people who live in that house. I'm not invited. I was feeling kind of like the poor me moment of (laughs) of moving someplace and knowing no one. So a couple weeks later, I said, I'm going to get to know the community. You know what else is true, right? So I went on a, a woman's retreat. And at the women's retreat, I met a number of very interesting women, and one of them's name was Billy McGuire. And Billy McGuire, um, she is still with us. She is at um, uh, assisted living here in Claremont, Uh, an amazing woman. And she was married to John McGuire, who was the president of Claremont Graduate University. Why he had such a grand house? Because it belonged to the university. So I got to know the two of them. I feel so blessed to have to have had them in my life. Um, John died about three years ago. But John uh, grew up in the South. And um, he would say about his parents that they were radical segregationists. And so he grew up at a time... Um, where I imagine you saw when you grew up in the South as well, where there was, everything was separate. Um, Everything was segregated. And John started, his mind started being shaped differently. And this also was happening to Billy at the same time. He was enrolled at Washington and Lee University. um, And so the professors were beginning to kind of, you know, Put little ideas in him that were changing the way he he thought about things. So he attended a conference. It was at Crozer Theological Seminary during his sophomore year, where they were assigned black roommates, and his roommate was Martin Luther King Jr. And so, as you can imagine, um, the two men, both brilliant men, they're together mm-hmm. talking about how to change the world, how to change that perspective, having that view that you were talking oh. about. And so, John had an amazing career, um, and he was a Fulbright scholar, um, and he also was a person who, he, he uh, did freedom rides into the South. And you know, when people went into the South and did freedom rides, they were, of course, very dangerous at the yeah. time. Yeah. And the person who I read a, a wonderful eulogy about John after he died was Marion Wright Edelman who, of course, is the person who started the Children's Defense Fund, and she was a great friend of Billy and John's, and she talked about wanting to go as well, but they they wouldn't let her. Dr. King and John said, no, it's too dangerous for a woman, and here she has been such an illustrious person, they were trying to protect her. But in any event, there was the, some things that happened, and um, and there was, uh, there were things against John and he had to go to court and Thurgood Marshall was the person who defended him in front of the Supreme Court. And so, John was, you know, he had that cur- courage like Martin Luther King had courage about speaking up when it wasn't necessarily popular, where it was something that, as we saw tragically with Martin Luther King, ended his life at the, the very young age of 39 years of age. Um, but I want you all to know, that John McGuire continued to live with, you know, the words of, uh, and he always would talk about Martin. Both he and Billy would say Martin and go, oh, Martin. It's like so personal, right? Because he was their friend as well as their colleague, as well as this amazing human being that we're celebrating today. But I want to say that the, um, the, the, the connection was when I was starting the Trauma Resource Institute and Billy, uh, again, was a great friend Billy was on my board of directors. She was one of the first board members and she and John gave $1,000. And that was the beginning of the trauma resource Institute I think we got $5,000 to start and they contributed the 1000 because they believed in what I, I was doing and how it also could impact the world. And, um, so I can say that John knew that we were impacting the world. Billy has dementia right now, so she doesn't know all the things that have happened from her being such an inspiration to me and to others that we've been in so many different countries. So today, I want to honor not only Martin Luther King, but John and Billy Maguire, who believed in those that compassion awareness. These were two white individuals, grew up in the South, but saw that there could be a different way. And I think right now we're having, you know, we're having a second civil rights movement since the death of George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And the things that Martin Luther King and John and Billy Maguire said then is as pertinent today, like you're saying the, about that perspective. That's right. So,
3: it's a great thank
2: st- you for nudging that that little, that that memory.
3: Yeah. It's a great story too. Yeah. Um, I, I love the phrase perspective expander because it, uh, it can change our lives when we look at a situation in a different way. And that's where a lot of your optimism and my optimism come from. You know, you look at the opportunity and the difficulty, or do you look at the difficulty and the opportunity? I call it flipping. Flip, flip your perspective instead of flip your lid, right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. When things are not going the way we want, and most of the time they won't because that's not what life is. We have to adjust to it. It's not going to adjust to us. And uh, expanding our perspective on an individual level, on a societal level, and on a global level, is what changes the world. To well, I think so.
2: And I and I think what's happening now too. Uh, you know, we here a year ago we thought, okay, 2021, it's going to be a different year. Yeah. It has been a different year, and it's been a very hard year yeah, as well. Um, at the very very first show of the of of resiliency within, I talked about my dear friend at that time, Loveland Santos, who was fighting for her life. She did die from COVID. And, you know, I've I've spoken about her a number of times on the show, but I just want to honor her. She was such an amazing social worker and she was a, um, a light, a treasure of the planet. And we had named her the ambassador of the year for the Trauma Resource Institute before she was sick, so she knew before she died that we were honoring her because of her compassion and her empathy. And also, I have to say, um, Brian, her optimism. Mm. And so I'm wondering, uh, I have a question for you as we're dealing with, I guess, COVID fatigue right now. Are there any words of wisdom that you have from your such wealthy experience of how do we deal with this fatigue? We're getting tired of it and it's still here and people right. are still dying from it. So, That's right,
3: the fatigue of uh, it's interesting. Thank goodness we have the technology of Zoom and some of the other devices that we can connect with each other if we can't connect socially. But even that brings fatigue, you know, there's something called Zoom fatigue or Zoom burnout.
2: <laughs> I've had it many times, yeah. I think. Yeah, a lot
3: of people have, yeah. Um, but you know. What I, I, I have loved having this time to kind of pull away from the world. And I've, I've been writing, I've been meditating, I've been thinking about my life and what I, I want to do next and what life is all, all about and connecting with nature. So I think it's not what's happening to us, no matter how dire the circumstances. It's what we do with it. it it's an inside job. It's inside out, not outside in. And I know it's hard. I I don't want to underestimate or minimize the pain people have experienced and are experiencing, but I think of Viktor Frankl and Dr. Edith Edgar, both of whom were in concentration camps, and the perspective, again, that they brought to their lives uh, and how they, uh, at least Viktor Frankl, survived. Well, they both survived, but Viktor Frankl wrote about between the stimulus and response There's a gap. There's a space. And a lot of us run roughshod over it. We don't realize it's there. But if you take a breath, there's always a space in what's happening and what you do with it. And when you realize, I call it the C spot. It's calm, clear, compassionate, a bunch of C words. And when you connect it, it frees you. And that's what he believed saved his life in Auschwitz and Dachau. And Dr. Edith Egger has brought that same philosophy, as you know. You know her. We've worked with her. All yeah, we've worked with her, yes. Yeah. And um, thank goodness we're not in any kind of Holocaust individually, although some people may feel like they are, but we can overcome anything. It's it's really the mind over matter. It's We're seeing the science of it daily coming out.
2: Well, and I think that when you think about um, – Edith she's so inspirational. I had
3: Amazing.
2: yeah, I had the 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 great honor to go to her house one time for lunch where she told us the story. And so by the way, she's just written a new book. I have it right here and I'm going to I want to make sure everybody knows knows what it is. But it is called The Choice Embrace the Possible. Yeah. A memoir by Dr. Edith Eva um, eager, and I have to say that it is an amazing book, and she talks about the very thing in the book that you're oh. you're mentioning. But the thing that I, I really was may- amazed by her. She was in a concentration camp. She also they thought she was dead actually, and oh. an American soldier saw that she was moving her hand. This is the story that she told to me, and uh, as, as I'm recollecting it, and so he pulled her out of rubble, and she was taken to a hospital. And she said that moment changed her life, not only for living, because she, of course, she's still alive. Look at how she's in her 90s now. But she dedicated to her life to American uh, military. And she worked at the VA in San Diego. Hmm. And she was one of the most beloved individuals there. But she told me, she said, when there were people that were, were desperate, where they felt they didn't want to live any longer, when they had lost the hope that you and I so believe in Brian yeah. that she'd say they'd always come and get me Elaine. I said, Oh, they would. <laughs> she said, and he, I mean, and she's really spunky and she, she goes, I could yeah. always remind them why they should live and yeah. why it w- might be an idea to live. And it yeah. was, I just, I cherish that conversation that yeah. I had with her um, because to have gone through as much as she did yeah. and to have that incredible optimism um, and joy. I mean, not just optimism, joy, and yeah. to live in that presence. Um, and I'm so excited to share with our viewers, too, that they're doing a hologram at the uh, Holocaust Museum in Chicago about her. And so, th- those holograms are amazing, because they're asking her a million questions, and that will have that for for the ages, Perfect. so that people will always have her wisdom. So, those, those um, kinds of individuals inspire me um, as well, Brian, that there in our lives and and we got to talk to her in twenty twenty one. that was a, that was we'll one of the
3: to, We'll get to talk to her again in September 9th of 2022 because she'll be part of the resiliency twenty twenty
2: two. Well that's the other thing that you didn't put in your bio that you're one of the producers of yes. the largest resiliency conference in the world. That's and right. it's going to be have its third year um, this coming year. I, I'm I'm happy to say that I'm on their advisory board. But you already have Edie all scheduled in, and she's coming. So that's great.
3: We have someone else I just want to briefly mention. Uh, She's a singer-songwriter, musician, incredible voice. Her name is Milk, M-I-L-C-K. She's Asian American. And she's another one of these perspective expanders. Uh, She's got a song. uh, You can go to YouTube and check it out, I Can't Keep Quiet Anymore. And she's simply doing what everybody else is doing. She's just speaking out in a nonviolent way about what's happening to people who are oppressed and disenfranchised. And she lives, she walks the walk. She's beautiful. Her, inc- that's an incredible song. I encourage everybody to check it out.
2: So, could you say again what her name is again? Milk? Her
3: name is Milk, M I L C K. That's short for her, the initials of her name backwards. Uh, her real name is Connie. Uh, and she's uh, Asian American and she's an uh, incredible singer uh, and has done p- a podcasts. And I've interviewed her for four. She will be appearing, by the way, at Resiliency 2022. Oh, good. Yeah.
2: Well, we will definitely have to listen to her. I know that I will also be um, coming to that conference, and I look forward to it. And our if any of you who are interested, what is the website that they could, people go, can go to right now for Resiliency 2022?
3: It's, re- it's resiliencyandhappiness.com. Resiliencyandhappiness.com
2: you know, and it's, I think what's so inspiring about the resiliency conference is that there's so many people from around the world that come and also yeah. that present and they only present for about four or five minutes, but that's they right. give us a gem, a jewel really yeah. of how they cultivate their well-being. Right. And I, I think that's an important aspect of what you're, we're talking about that we need to continue to do. That's right. Even when faced with all this, you know, I wanted to share something too. I have had, um, some ideas about the definition of resiliency. Um, A year ago, I had a particular definition, but I do think the course of doing the show and talking to many people from around the world has certainly um, changed me and also, I think, broadened my perspective. And I'd love to share my new definition with you, if you wouldn't mind. So, basically, I think that resiliency is about People have said to me, well, sometimes when I hear people talk about well-being and resiliency, it's like, you're not acknowledging my pain and suffering. It's like, are you saying I'm supposed to be this optimistic, happy person all the time? I said, oh, no, no, let's, let's expand this vista. So, I absolutely um, do believe that resiliency is, or cultivating the well-being, is leaning in to the suffering and the pain, not pretending no. like it didn't exist. That's right. It's leaning in, but it's also knowing that you can lean out. You maybe even touch it and still say, well, I don't want to forget it. But it's not living with that's the only part of who you are as a person. So, it's also about, I'm really, I think this is very important to add this embodied well-being. Because you and I both believe that, yes, we can think, we can feel about well-being. But when we sense it, when you think about your grandma. Or you think about Pauline and all the things that they gave to you in your life. Mm. Brian mentioned his grandmother in the first show. Um, and look at your, and if you can <laughs> see him, those of you that are listening, he has a big smile on his face. What happens to you on the inside? I have when an you-
3: image of her. Uh, as soon as you say her name, I have an image and I just feel joy inside because I, I, I see her from when I was a little boy. And I just feel love bubble up. That's a resource, a wonderful resource.
2: And you can sense it, it's embodied. Yeah. So what yeah. I'm talking about regarding well being, resiliency, and I'm using those two words interchangeably, it's embodied well being. Yeah. But it's also coming forth in the world with compassion, yeah, with empathy, with hope and optimism. You know and Those are the, that's, that's my expanded definition now.
3: (laughs) So it's grown a bit. And you know what? That's important because there's a new book out. It just came out called toxic positivity. And that's really the message in the book is, you know, if you're, and, and I want to be clear to the uh, listeners that you and I are, we're not talking about toxic positivity. We're not talking about no. if I say, Elaine, I lost my job. And you say, oh, well, think on the bright side. Maybe uh, <laughs> you, you can get go a new one. <laughs> yeah, you can get <laughs> enough. And then, and I say, but wait a minute, I just lost my job. So Elaine would, would help me uh, be with that for a while. You wouldn't take me somewhere else. So it's not about putting your head in the sand, pretending everything's great when it isn't. It's about, Leaning in and then leaning out. It's about knowing you have a choice. Of course, you feel bad or disappointed or hurt, but you don't want to stay there forever. I mean, because then you are a victim, and that's not what this is about. It's about being a survivor and a thriver. And that's then when you, as you say, in the embodiment of it and finding other places where you can be in your body and in your mind that broadens your uh, perspective
2: again. It broadens your perspective. And actually I call it the cream rising to the top. Then yeah. we do have more, mm-hmm. we have more feelings about self with self-compassion. That's and right. when we have more self-compassion, we have more compassion for people around us. Right. We think about the compassion that, that, Dr. King demonstrated for people who were trying to oppress, yeah. who did oppress. That's right. And, um, and so if we can carry that forward and continue that message, then you know my hope is that we can change some of the oppres- oppressive, oppressive yeah. ways that we see in the well,
3: world. I call it like also- the C spot. Uh, because uh, when you live from that place, you're living from clarity and calmness and compassion, creativity. Like He's called
2: the C-Spot. I love that. I want you to talk more about the C-Spot. Okay. I can't see that we need to take a break. We, I told you, once we start talking, we just don't stop. <laughs> so uh, we're going to take a short break and I will be back with Dr. Brian Robinson, where we will continue to, I want him to illuminate us about the C-Spot. I want us to go over that again, because I think this okay. is an important thing for us to, be with right now during 2022 so we'll be back in a few moments
0: the trauma resource institute is a nonprofit organization cultivating trauma-informed and resiliency focused individuals and communities worldwide our mission is to take people from despair to hope. We believe in a world where every child and adult has the capacity to recover from highly stressful and traumatic experiences. Check out iChill, our free app that helps you learn the wellness skills of the community and trauma resiliency models. Go to TraumaResourceInstitute.com for more information.
4: Elaine miller Kerris' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. Elaine miller Kerris co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com trauma resource institute build resilience awaken hope your life your health your network you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: this is resiliency within with elaine miller karras to reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to one 472 5792 That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show.
2: This is Elaine Larkaris, and I'm here with my guest, Dr. Brian Robinson, and we're going to continue our discussion on the C spot that we were just starting to get into right before the break. So tell us what the C spot is. And I, and there's eight C's over right. to you, Brian.
3: Yeah, and this is based on clinical uh, and empirical studies. Um, so the C spot is something that organically happens when we lean into um, uh, disappointment or hurt. Uh, as we were saying before, instead of avoiding it, and we acknowledge the disappointment. We acknowledge the sadness. We acknowledge the pain. We acknowledge the anger. And when we do that, we feel a separation from it. We don't try to get rid of it or fight it or steamroll over it. We just try to get a little bit of separation from it, and we talk to it. There's neuroscience that shows when we talk, To our parts, we used to say people that talked to themselves were crazy. Now it's one of the most effective therapeutic tools we have. Because what happens, you feel an unblending with a part of you. And as that happens, it's the on-ramp to what I call the C-spot. You automatically feel certain C-words. Calm. Clarity. Curiosity about what's happening inside. Uh, it leads to creativity and confidence and co- courageousness, willing to stick your neck out a little bit more. Um, connectedness to other people. And I don't know if I've said all the C words or not. Compassion. How can I forget compassion? Yeah.
2: Um, well, and, and as you're talking about that, that, so like if I'm like angry, and I'm, yes. and I'm and, you know, so I'm just really, I'm steamed up. And if I yes. say, Elaine, are you really going to, does that really matter to you about that? And I like, go, yeah. you know, oh. Because you, you hear that in your, your head, right? I might yeah, say that. I'm yeah. going, oh, well, no, I guess, I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah. So all of a sudden you feel that parasympathetic surge come in That's because right. I'm letting go yeah. of that sympathetic the way, surge. The, does, way yeah. I,
3: the way I use it and the way I work with clients is to literally, once I'm aware I'm angry, is to focus on that part of me, just like it's a little person. And I actually talk to it and say, and I validate it like we were talking about before. Boy, you are angry. And you know what? You have every right in the world to be angry. And I'm not taking that away from you. So you just be as angry as you need to because the way they spoke to us is not okay. Now I'm speaking to it in the third person as if it's someone else. And that's part of the whole deal. But as I do that, I don't feel the anger, it's there. And I'm not trying to get rid of it. I saw all of a sudden I feel a calmness. I feel a clarity because I can see what's going on inside of me.
2: Because it isn't the the anger is not embodied then, right? You have exactly. a separation from the, from That's the, right. from
3: from the anger. That's right, and it, may, it gives me access to more of me, uh, which are those c words.
2: And. Well, and- uh, and that Good. access of more of you is really important. We talk about, again, people having controversy over even the word resiliency yes. or well-being because what we're saying is, no, of course you have to lean into that. You, yeah. if you, have, you talk to that anger in yeah. terms of having this particular strategy. It's not about not embracing that this is That's actually right. a feeling that you're having. That's right. It also has a physiological response in the body.
3: That's right. And you know, I was gonna mention a study that just came out, I follow all the neuroscience and I get these studies daily. And this one really jumped out at me and it was done on women. And to make it short, there were two groups of women, one of whom had uh, had practiced um, self-compassion. The other group did not practice self-compassion. And what they found was the women who practiced self-compassion had a lower risk of cardiovascular disease. Now, they actually measured the lining of the blood vessels in these women and found that the women who practiced self compassion had clearer arteries than the women who didn't. Now, if that doesn't prove that there's a mind body <laughs> connection, I don't know what does. But we think of self compassion as just a nice, sweet little word. It is a powerful, powerful word. We haven't even begun to understand the effect it has on our health our physical as well as mental health.
2: And I've been mentioning Dr. Richard Davidson recently yeah. from the University of Wisconsin because he's done also the research on gratitude. Yeah. And and so we if we see some gratitude and generosity. Uh-huh. And I was really the to me the compelling information about generosity. If we if someone is generous towards us Or if we're generous towards someone else, or if we see someone being generous, that we have these circuits in our brain that fire, that that touches us. And that actually is one of the ways that we embody that well being. So, one of the things I hope that um, I'm going to encourage our listeners um, if you're feeling a little out of sorts, start a generosity. Practice so the generosity. Can even be looking at people doing generous acts to one another. Um, a friend of mine, uh, after the the, uh, the terrible tornado that was in, um, was it? Where was that? It was it in Oklahoma. The at the last tornado. Oh, I can't think mm-hmm. of the. I know that the, the state it was in, but the last tornado. Yeah. Um, and there was a man that came, and he had his car and his barbecue, and he started feeding people in the middle of the street. And all those folks got food for the first time because everything had been swept away. Well, he was watching it and he started crying. Yeah, The tears weren't sorrowful tears, they were gratitude tears. Right. And you know the difference, right? I do. When you yeah, sense, most people do, yeah. Yes, when you sense those different kinds of tears. So, these are the kinds of things that you can cultivate is, um, have you been generous to someone recently? Or maybe someone was generous to you and you didn't maybe acknowledge them in the way that you may have liked. Maybe you were too busy. So, I had this thing happen to me. Um, was it, I was kind of feeling a little bit blue. I have a family member, a friend that is having a health problem. And I got this, this, this beautiful orchid delivered to me. In fact, it's behind me. And I got this orchid. I go, hi, huh, I wonder who gave me this orchid. I was feeling really sad. And I opened it up and it was a good friend of mine who completely forgot my birthday and said, happy birthday. My birthday's in May. So, this is January. And I, and, I, and I wrote to her and I said, thank you so much. I was feeling so blue. I think maybe we have a psychic connection like we always say we do. But my birthday's not till May. But, you know, those kind of generous acts, oh, my God, I was in tears
3: yeah. getting
2: this orchid on the wrong day.
3: You so know, I, was, uh, I had an experience recently, and it was kind of the opposite experience, but both generate, uh, you know, that that good feeling. We call it the helper's high, by the way. There's a name for that, that uh, helping people or, or being generous to people uh, makes you feel good, uh, and that, there's an old saying, it's better to give than receive, and I think that's where it comes from, but I, I was getting gas at a supermarket, and this young woman came up and said, I thought, I thought, oh, no, here we go. She's going to want money, and she said, could you give me a little bit of that gas? She said, I, I don't have money to get back home, and my kids are waiting, and I had to come to court. And I said, sure, I'll give you gas. I filled her tank up, and she said, no, no, don't fill it up. That's too much. That's too much. Don't do- I've never had it on full before, and my heart just <laughs> uh, melted. And, of course, I filled it up. I think it was $60 or something. And she said, I can't believe I- I've never had this car on full before. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. <laughs> And I just, it just made my day, but, you know, because I was able to do that for her. And I I hope it made her day too, because she not only got home, but had gas to spare. Oh, that is
2: the sweetest story. See, I'm feeling when you're telling me that story, I feel my heart just warm. Uh, yeah. And I just feel this whole like almost a flush that this and you actually did that for me. Yeah. And I think that's what happens with general It was Kentucky, by the way, that had there were six that's states hard. that we were six yeah. states but that had the terrible. The yeah. Yes, but Kentucky got the worst of it. But that that is a, that is a lovely, lovely story. So I'm really gonna encourage our listeners again. About the generosity. You know, a few years back, I think my, my kids were still little. Anyway, I went and bought $10 gift certificates to Target. And it was Christmas time. And we just drove around town and we stopped our car and gave the $10 gift certificates. I think I got $100 worth of $10 gift certificates. I have to tell you, it was the most wonderful thing to see people like, well, what is this for? We go, well, not for anything, just Merry Christmas. Have a good new year, but uh, I must have. I can have to do that again. I just did that out of, I don't know what. Maybe I saw it on a show or something. I'm going to give ten dollars gift certificates to Target away. So there you go. So anyway, that, that's a, an interesting research. Can you tell us the name of the? Um, do you have the name of the researcher for that particular? Uh,
3: the okay. uh, the one the one on um, self compassion. Yes. Yes. Uh, I don't because I get so many that come across my desk. I can't remember them all. Uh,
2: I understand totally. But there is so. a
3: book that, uh, a new book, Kristen Neff, who uh, writes a lot about self-compassion. It's called Fierce Self-Compassion. Fierce Self-Compassion. Yeah, okay. It just came out. I think it's probably in that book. It's okay. a great book, though.
2: Now, I want to do a little segue here because I, we need to hear about your television series. So oh, tell okay. us, I mean, talk about a little gem coming in to your well, life this year. So tell us about what's happening with, also, well, first tell, you know, first of all, we haven't really talked about your first novel. And if okay. you can tell us a little bit about the novel and then tell us about the series. Well,
3: before we do that, let me mention, uh, okay. you asked me before we came back on air, uh, the, the, the idea of the C-Spot uh, is in the fourth edition of my book, Chained to the Desk, which will be out later this year. And you're okay. in the book, of course. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, thank you. Yeah, a lot of other people are. But it's Chained to the Desk, uh, copyright 2022. It's the fourth edition.
2: Okay, Chain uh, to the Desk. Okay, yeah, perfect. Right. All right. So we got to pick up that book. Remember, Chain to the Desk and now television series. Did you ever in a million years think they were going to do a television oh, series about one of your me? books?
3: <laughs> are you kidding me? Uh, if someone <laughs> had told me that 20 years ago, I would have laughed in their face. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know I'd have written a novel, (laughs) but, uh, the novel, um, the first novel is called limestone gumption and it's a murder mystery and it takes place in the underwater caves in Florida. And, uh, it's, it's not available. It's going to be released. The book is going to be released sometime later this year. Um, and the movie is now it's under contract for the first episode of a television series And I assume it's going to be called Limestone Gumption. You have to either read the book or watch the series to know what that means. But it's about uh, some resilience, really. uh, Some of the things we've been talking about uh, is a theme, but it's really a fun book. And it has a lot of twists and turns, just like the caves, the underwater caves. And it's about a psychologist who goes into the caves of people's minds and the twists and turns of what's going on inside of them and... um, so that's really in a nutshell. And, but and like,
2: doesn't he have a, a, a bunch of spunky women, too, that he oh, encounters? Yeah. Yes. Well, I like the spunky women. You know, of course, I would oh, say yeah, that. Oh, everybody loves
3: <laughs> them. <laughs> they're, they're sister friends. Uh, he, he's a psychologist. He goes back to this little town in Florida uh, to reconnect with his grandmother and to find out whatever happened to his estranged father. Uh, and I can't tell you what happened to his estranged father, but that's what he's up to. And he's accused of a murder. Uh, and uh, has to figure out a way to get out of it. But his grandmother is head of this garden club with five other women, and they uh, have this beautiful garden as you enter the town. It's called White Cross, Florida. As you enter these incredible flowers, nobody's ever seen such big, rich, healthy flowers. And uh, things lead to him wondering, What's buried there? Are they camellias or are they corpses? And so he starts finding out all these astonishing things that are going on with these women in this secret club. And what are they really doing? That's really what the book's about.
2: And so the TV series, so when... Um, the pilot, you can you tell us something about it?
3: The, the TV series is being uh, the screenplay is already written. It's incredible. It's, I didn't write it, but they hired a screenwriter to do it. It's beautifully done. And the first episodes will be filmed uh, starting in March uh, in Florida. And then we will see where it goes. Um, the, the hope is that there will be eight episodes to start and we'll we'll see what happens. But right now it's called Limestone Gumption. We don't know where it's going to be shown, but my dream would be Prime or Netflix or one of the
2: well and now do you get you know i'm sure when i when i read it i kept i couldn't help but think about you when i i read it a number of years yeah. ago the psychologist psychologist you're a psychologist yeah. brian so um so ha- do you have some dream of who you would like to play this character not saying it would be you because it's you know in the book no, it but it couldn't be me i'm not <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, who would well, you like he's a little bit me. younger and he's a little
3: bit younger in the book that's well. right he's 35 yes and uh it would be Ryan Gosling uh, from everybody. I know either Ryan Gosling, he would be the known character lead character or an unknown character. He might fit the the image, you know, of a Southern smart, savvy, compassionate, uh, sexy, psychopath.
2: sexy. We have to say sexy. Yes. Sexy. Yeah, okay, sexy. sexy. Got to uh, add that.
3: <laughs> he gets in over his head, but he gets out because he is resilient, basically. All right. So we'll see. And we've, we have one person, I can't say who it is, uh, who's pretty well known, who's already said she would like to do a cameo. So, um,
2: Oh, my goodness. Well, yeah. I just can't yeah. wait because, I, I mean, are you going to have like a showing? Like, will there be like a red carpet where you're going to have,
3: go- uh, yeah, uh, here probably in Asheville. But, well
2: uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna have to come brian i'm gonna have to try and get, maybe yeah. i'll get in my first uh plane ride since yeah. the the pandemic if you know, this crazy Omicron kind of gets tied That's in right well anything more you want to say about it anything that the our listeners should do if they want to find out more about
3: well the, uh wait for, the book will be re-released sometime this year it's called limestone gumption and um I don't have an exact date yet, but sometime this year it will be released. And then the TV series will be released in conjunction with the book. So there'll be, you know, parallel paths for the two of them. But, um, yeah, that's later this year. And I, I, I was so excited when they came to me out of the blue with uh, financial backers and the whole deal, it's just a writer's dream. It just doesn't happen that often. Well,
2: so was there somebody in particular? I just, I'm just i so curious now, like somebody that read the book and said, oh, this has to be a TV series that's yes. a producer. Is that what happened?
3: Yeah, you know, he's the head of the studio. He's he's actually an Emmy Award winner, and I can't give you the name of the studio. Took, I can't say it publicly, but he said "We are, his words, we are so fired up about the story. We love it. And the screenwriter – uh, called me and he was he was nervous. He's he's 35, the same age as the protagonist, and because he was so nervous about what I approve, since you know it was my original story, and uh, what a him,
2: sweetheart! I, what a sweetheart to to care! Oh, I
3: know he yeah. was, yeah. And uh, I said, I think you're brilliant, and he went, Oh, thank goodness! <laughs> and he is. He is so creative. The way he took the story and he he wrote it. Uh, He didn't change the storyline, but the way he showed it visually in the film, I I can't wait to see it. I was just so excited.
2: Well, you know, I wanted to, we were talking a little bit about this before we, uh, in the green room, before the show started. But um, something came across my, my desk the other day, and it was about people from the age of 50 to 80 no. Are, um, it's one of the most creative times in people's lives. Yeah. And I could say that I think we fall in that category, Brian, between 50 right. and 80. Yes. We do. And so would you say, I mean, you've always been a pretty creative person. I mean, obviously if you've written 40 books, but um, you don't seem to be um, losing your creativity or the, there's a generativity around you in terms of what you're doing in your well, life. I right I think
3: now. it's actually uh, uh, sharper than it's ever been. And, you know, Joan Rivers said she didn't even get her voice till she was 72. And Grandma Moses didn't start painting until she was 75, I think. <laughs> so I think it goes back to the C spot. Remember, creativity is one of the C words. When we're younger and we're building our career and we're having kids and we're worried about finances, you're, it's hard to get in that C spot. You're pulled out of it a lot. But once you hit a certain age and all that stuff's behind you, you have more time to meditate, reflect, and 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 slow down a little bit. So it moves you into that C spot where creativity resides. That's my theory about more people be, becoming create creative between fifty and eighty.
2: Well, and I also I want I was sharing with um, with Brian, he didn't know this about me. I was a very shy child where I even had a Class where I think I was in my first year of college where twenty five percent was uh, of the grade was having to to speak up in the class and I I I didn't quite believe in myself then I don't think and I think there was so much of the the drama that happens in one's life when they're young that yeah. for me at least I mean some people you know don't have to go through that they have that creativity that just sparks from when they're young but for me I think it had to take time to develop so if any of you listeners are out there going what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We know that a lot of people are leaving their jobs and redefining themselves since COVID. That's one of the silver linings. Right. I think that you can, you know, you know, when um, I got a phone call from voice America, you know, a year and a half ago, I thought a radio show. Well, I've never thought about a radio show. And, and then here I am a year later, and we've been I think we've been pretty successful, and I've had amazing guests. So I would never have believed that of myself. I'm sure some of my teachers would go, Elaine Miller, really? She has a talk show. <laughs> <laughs> she can talk to people. <laughs> she actually says things, you know? So so I if think, you're, if you know? Go I
3: think ahead. there's so many of us who think uh, at a certain age that uh, we're over the hill and it, everything's over and done with, and that's such a myth. It's just not true. Uh, The brain is malleable. There's something called neuroplasticity. And if you stay active physically and mentally, there is no end to what you can create and the kind of life you can have and how rich it can be. I don't care if if you live into your 90s. So don't think just because you get a little bit older that you're over and done with because you're not. Again, it's that perspective expander that can really keep your life enriched as long as you live.
2: Well, and I think I also want to emphasize that, you know, we've also talked about sorrow and pain Yeah. and that sorrow and pain is, you know, it's part of living life. Yeah. And I know that many of you are feeling very sorrowful right now and people have lost loved ones. There's been a lot of people that have, yeah. have died because of COVID and just other windstorms of life that happen yeah. or that are sick. But I think that the other part of what we both have seen is that, it's not so much again, you know. How many times have we heard this? The things that happen to your life, but the attitude—that's right—and that attitude can make all the difference in the world. We saw that in in dear Edie, um, yeah. who survived, you know the you know the Auschwitz and and yeah. the Holocaust. Yeah. And I, and we've been working with the uh, in the in the uh, trauma resource institute. We re- recently did a workshop for the Uyghurs that are experiencing a Holocaust right now, mm. and there's so many amazing resilient Uyghurs that we've met. But that's also going on right now. So, it's important to know that some of these awful tragedies in the world are not over, that they're still going on, and that in the kind of the the spirit of Martin Luther King is that I don't think we can be silent about these, these things. And he said something, and I'm kind of getting, we're almost ready to end, I'm going to give you the final words, but Martin Luther King said, in the end, we remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Mm. And I think silence is um, the kinds of thing that can destroy societies yes. if we don't speak the truth. And I appreciate that's, the words of Martin Luther King.
3: That's why I love the song by Milk that's uh, on YouTube, I Can't Stay Quiet Anymore. It just moved. It gave me chills. It moved me to tears it, it, because we can't. You're right. It's speaking out not in an aggressive way, but uh, good trouble. Good, good trouble. trouble. Yeah,
2: And, and so um, can you tell our listeners, how do they get a hold of you? Can you give us our, your website? So if they wanted to send you a message or just see what you're up to in the world, where would they go, Brian?
3: Um, my website is brianrobinsonbooks.com, and that's B-R-Y-A-N, robinsonbooks.com. And it has some of the uh, blogs I've written for Forbes. It has uh, some of the shows I've been on. It has uh, uh, resources for other books and so forth that, that folks can get. And you can leave me a message on there. So I'd love to hear from anybody who would like to write.
2: Wonderful. And so, um, and we were gonna we're gonna look for the t- television series. Yes. And also remember that your your new book will be coming out where right. you go into more detail about the eight C's and tell us the name.
3: Right. Got a, m- called- a minute to. T- chained to the desk fourth edition and it's uh it i talk about the c spot and um uh a lot of other things that we've talked about today actually
2: and dr brian robinson i thank you so much again for coming on to the show and sharing your wisdom an hour with you seems like a minute because it's just, you're so rich and your ideas are so rich and you are so rich in spirit and everything else. So thank you so much. And until we meet again, I hope you'll come back for our next anniversary. I will. All right. Okay. You're a regular. All right. (laughs) Thank you so much, Brian. Um, So and our listeners, remember what's true in your life. Remember the optimism that Brian has, you know, there, we've all been through things and yet there are ways that we can cultivate that embodied well-being. And maybe be, be generous to one person this week until we meet again. Maybe there's someone, maybe you can take the garbage out for your neighbor. Do something, do something kind to one of your family members or to a friend, or maybe give somebody a call that maybe you owe them one and you haven't done it yet. So... Anyway, blessings to all of you. Until we meet again, remember what else is true. This is Elaine miller karras signing off for Resiliency Within on Voice America.
1: Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine Miller-Karis, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon.
0: Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.